0: Right now, Steve is exploring the important prophecy term, the Son of God. So open your Bibles, download your study guides, and prepare to explore Bible prophecy.
1: Hello and welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy. In today's program, we are continuing in point number one in our teaching series, Important Prophecy Terms Compared and Contrasted. And we're looking at seven sets of prophetic terms that we'll need to have a good understanding of before we start our next teaching series on a overview of the 30 prophetic events that must take place according to the Scripture between now, today, and the end of the Bible, which is Revelation chapter 22. And at the end of the Bible, we find the beginning of eternity. And in eternity, we get back to the perfect state that existed at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 before we had the fall in 3 and uh, the beginning of sin. So we want to go from a sinless state. We're going to go back to a sinless state. But in the meantime, there are going to be uh, at least 30 prophetic events, and I want to cover these 30 primary events um, leading up to that perfect state. And unfortunately, a lot of those perfect events excuse me, a lot of those prophetic events are going to involve judgment. And therefore, we need to understand who the judge is going to be and how he's going to judge, who he's going to judge, and when he's going to judge. Because understanding those uh, critical factors helps us understand with a great sense of confidence the flow of God's uh, prophetic word between now and the end of the Bible, if you will, Uh, the end of uh, time as we know it. And in order to have that understanding, we have to be in God's Word, and we have to study God's Word, and He will richly reward us. He will richly reward those who study His Word through, and I should point out, through the, the leading of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit indwelling within you. Because, frankly, you can study God's Word as an academician, and look at it as a just a work of some man or a collection of works of men. And you can come away with some understanding, but it will not be, I believe, anywhere near the understanding that God wishes for you to have. And, um, and it's, it's a wish because it's volitional. You have to desire to want to know. He has gone as far, God has gone as far as putting His Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit within you. And His Holy Spirit wants to lead you, the believer, into an understanding of all the Scriptures. It specifically says, understanding all the Scriptures. You find that in John. And that graciousness of His has to be accepted. We have to let the Holy Spirit work in us and through us to bring us to that understanding. And as, and as we get that understanding, it makes us more effective as sharers of God's good news with the world, not only to edify and to grow the Christian, the young believer into a mature Christian, but it also gives us that depth of understanding of the other side of the picture, which is the punishment of God, the justice of God for those who refuse him through the offer of his son on the cross and his glorious resurrection, so that we can see both sides of that picture, and having both sets of information—the the, the uh, just, uh, rather the uh, the grace side, the love side, the salvation side, and then the justice side, and the retribution side, and the punishment side—understanding those two um, two sides of the same coin, if you will, um, makes you a much more effective. Um, Um, presenter of the good news, the presenter of the gospel to the world, both to the believer and to the unbeliever. And we have been uh, building on that as we've been looking at a critical distinction, and that is between two different terms for the same person, the person of Jesus Christ, and the terms are the Son of God and the Son of Man. So let's continue on and looking in point number one, uh, the second part, which is looking at the scriptures dealing with the Son of Man. So therefore, we're talking about the justice side. We're talking about the retribution, the judgment, the punishment side. And we were in 2 Thessalonians when we left each other last time. So I want to return there and build a little bit on that passage in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and it's verses 6 to 10. And this is actually a passage that is comforting the Thessalonians. The Thessalonians were primarily Gentiles or what were called Greeks, and there were also Jews mixed in as well. But remember, this is up in northeast Greece where um, Paul has visited and Paul is writing his second letter to them to comfort them. These letters are letters of comfort because these people thought that they had missed the rapture of the church that Paul had taught them. Um, and thought they had missed it because somebody came in after Paul and spread, spread lies about Paul and about how he didn't have a good grasp of the scriptures, that the tribulation, the difficulties that they were having living under the thumb, if you will, of the emperor of Rome and the Roman soldiers there in Thessalonica, that that was the tribulation, that was the persecution that had been told that would take place. And therefore, according to Paul's teachings, the rapture happened before that tribulation would start. So therefore, they were erroneously being taught that they had missed the rapture. So, And of course, Paul believed the rapture could have happened during his lifetime, and that was 2,000 years ago. So the rapture could happen at any time. And he is comforting the Thessalonians here in a number of ways, but he does it very pointedly in uh, the first chapter of Second Thessalonians, and he says that for after all, in verse 6, it is only just for God to repay the affliction with affliction, those who afflict you, and to give relief to you who are afflicted, and to us as well. That's referring to Paul. To us as well. When the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power." When he, Jesus, comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. So he's talking to the Thessalonians, but he's talking about Jesus coming back to the earth. There's going to be a a rapture that's going to take them away, but then there's going to be a point in time after that, after the tribulation, where Jesus is going to come back and repay all of these evildoers that afflicted those Thessalonian believers and will give relief to them in the sense that they will see the judgment of those own believers, of those unbelievers when Jesus comes back. And that's what's referred to in verse seven, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire. Now, if you study the rapture of the church, and that would be in the first book to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, you can see that the description of the rapture, which these believers would be involved in, is totally different from this description that Paul is giving the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. There is no description The angels are not involved. It says Jesus will come for the church. And it says uh, here, his mighty angels come, and we're told the angels will come back with him at his second coming. And it says that they will come, it will come in flaming fire. There's no flaming fire involved in the rapture of the church. And then, of course, it talks in verse 8 about dealing out retribution. There's no retribution in the rapture, it's all rewards for works. There's no retribution for sinful life because that was all forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. So there'll be no reference to sin at the Bema Seat judgment following the rapture. Whereas here, it's all going to be judgment. It's going to be repayment with affliction to those that afflicted the believers. And this retribution will be dealt out to those um, unbelievers in the form of eternal destruction. Verse 9, eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. So it's going to be a ter- eternal separation from God, and that's the worst possible thing. That's the worst possible thing you can have is eternal separation from God, and that's what's called the lake of fire, eternal torment. And then finally, to wrap up this passage in Second Thessalonians, chapter 1, looking at verse 10, and it's talking about when he, Jesus, comes to be glorified in his saints. So that's us. When we come back with Jesus, we're going to be his wife, and it's all going to be a glorification of who he is as the King of kings and Lord of lords, coming to set up his kingdom here on the earth on that day. And that day is the second coming. That's not the rapture. That's the second coming uh, of Jesus to the earth. And it says to be marveled at among all who believed. So there's going to be people on the earth at his second coming, which we'll understand to be the righteous remnant of the Jews. And we'll talk about that in a later portion of this teaching series, Because we're going to be talking about the differences between the Jews and the Gentiles and needing to understand that difference. Because I believe it's very clear that um, there is a difference and there are teachings out there now. There's actually doctrines being promulgated in the church today that say there is no distinction that the church has replaced Israel. And according to my reading of the scripture, it could not be any more false. There is a very clear distinction. The commonality is the death, burial, and, uh, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and a belief in that, that both the Jew and the Gentile are saved that way, the Jew and the church are saved that way. But there is a very clear plan for Israel leading up to that and a very clear different plan for the church leading up to that salvation through Christ. But there are going to be people on the earth that will be judged Uh, And it'll be the righteous remnant of Israel, and it'll be the righteous remnant of the Gentiles called the sheep. And they will marvel at Christ when he comes at his second coming with the angels and with the saints. That's us with him. So that's going to be a glorious time for us at the second coming because we'll be coming back with him in our glorified bodies. And it says in Revelation chapter 2, starting at verse 27, we will come back with him to rule and reign on the earth with him for a thousand years. But at the same time, Jesus is going to judge. And that's what this whole passage here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 6 through 10 is all about, is paying back uh, the uh, people who afflicted the believers on the earth during the time that we call the church. So let's move on now. We've kind of Set the stage for the Son of Man being the one who will bring punishment, who will bring judgment, leading to death, leading to permanent death, permanent separation from God. It's a bad thing. Whenever you see the term the Son of Man, uh, you know that judgment's involved, that he's talking to unbelievers who will stand before the Son of Man to be judged for their sins. So... That's a distinction, a, the, probably the big distinction that I want you to understand between the Son of God and the Son of Man. The Son of God to, is, is uh, grace, righteousness, uh, belief, um, rewards. The Son of Man is justice, it's judgment, it's punishment, it's eternal separation from God in the lake of fire. So, that is the background of the term the son of man and now let's see how it's used to make that point hopefully more clear for you so that you better understand it through a um, exploration of some of the scriptures in the new testament so let's now turn to the book of luke we were in second thessalonians chapter 1 so let's move back to the left and let's get into the gospels Matthew Mark Luke and John and go to the book of luke that you see on your worksheet that you can download here from the radio station. Just look for the um, icon for Exploring Bible Prophecy, and it'll lead you to it and uh, make it a lot easier to follow along with us when you have the Scriptures in front of you. And in Luke chapter 22, we're going to go to verse 66, and this is the the trial that the Jewish leadership uh, put Jesus through leading up to his crucifixion. And of course, it was all based on false information, but the Jews didn't care. They just wanted to get rid of Jesus because they did not want him to um, take their authority away from them, uh, which is certainly what he would have done because these were all unbelievers. None of them, I shouldn't say none, but the vast majority of them did not believe in Jesus as being the Son of God. So now they make the point here. We're going to see both terms, the Son of Man and the Son of God used here. And hopefully now that you've um, studied the background, you can see what is meant here when they use, who uses the different terms and why. So in Luke chapter twenty-two, starting at verse sixty-six, let's go to the end of the chapter. Verse sixty-six: When it was day, the council of elders of the people assembled, both chief priests and scribes. And they led him away to their council chamber, saying, If you are the Christ, the Messiah, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. Verse 68. But if I ask a question, you will not answer it. Verse 69. But from now on, this is Jesus talking to the unbelieving council of elders. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. In other words, the judge, your judge, you're going to see Jesus uh, in the future as the Son of Man, because I will be seated to judge at the right hand of the Father. Verse 70, And they, this is the unbelieving council of elders, And they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, Yes, I am. Then they said, What further need do we have of testimony? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. In other words, they are charging him with the Old Testament law violation of blasphemy, claiming to be God. And he said, Yes, I am. I am the Son of God. But for you, you're going to see me as the Son of Man. Because remember, what we studied, the Son of God will come to to pass out rewards at his judgment of the church. There will be no reference to sin. But for everyone else, he will come to judge as the Son of Man. And he's telling these unbelieving leaders of the um, Jews, religious leaders of the Jews, You're going to see me as the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power of God because you're going to see me when I judge you for your unbelief. So this is one of those um, passages in the New Testament where you see both the terms together and you can see how they are uh, used one against the other. One is referring to Jesus as the judge. The other is referring to Jesus as as the rewarder of men, and to see how an unbeliever would see the difference there. So we um, get our first understanding here of how those terms are used in the New Testament. And in our next program, we're going to look at Mark. So we're in the book of Mark uh, in the Gospels now. We'll go one book uh, back to the left, and we'll go to Mark chapter 14 and see what another Gospel writer has to say and how he uses the term the Son of Man. So we'll do that in our next program, but now we want to transition over to our Q&A portion once again, and we are finishing up the, a look in the Old Testament of how the Holy Spirit functioned in the Old Testament as we have spent uh, kind of a mini-teaching series here um, answering a question from Rich in Indian Springs about whether or not the Holy Spirit functions in the tribulation. And his concern, uh, therefore his question was, if the Holy Spirit indwells the church um, and the Holy Spirit is the restrainer of evil that is taken out of the way before the tribulation starts so that the Antichrist can be revealed, then does that mean, since the Holy Spirit indwells the church and the church has gone to heaven, does that mean there's no Holy Spirit on the earth? And of course they the answer is yes, there is the Holy Spirit on the earth, but the Holy Spirit will be manifested in the tribulation on the earth as he was manifested in the Old Testament. And we've been going through Old Testament scriptures to understand what, how that function was manifested. And what we discovered, and we finished up in Judges uh, last time, with the Holy Spirit clothing Gideon, the Holy Spirit coming on Gideon uh, was that the Holy Spirit would come on people to uh, imbue them with um, special gifts, special talents that were needed to either lead the people, as we saw with Joshua, as we saw with Moses uh, and the 70 elders uh, in Numbers. Uh, We saw it with the, um, the judges during the period of the judges with Othniel, the first of the um, the first of the many judges, the twelve or thirteen judges, so they came on for specific skills, and uh, and again the other one was uh, was an Exodus where he came on artisans, so that the artisans had special skills uh, and knowledge to build the elaborate uh, ornaments and uh, parts of the of the um, tabernacle, which is where the Shekinah glory of God dwelt during the time of the. 40 years in the wilderness, and then for over 300 years at um, Shiloh when they came into uh, the Promised Land before the temple was built by Solomon. Uh, So you see the Holy Spirit coming on people, and we learned in 1 Samuel 16 and in uh, Psalms 51 that the Holy Spirit can leave you if you enter into iniquity and turn from righteousness the Holy Spirit that came on you in righteousness will leave you because of your iniquity. So we wanted to finish up our last look at Scripture in the Old Testament uh, before we look at how the Holy Spirit will function during the tribulation, that uh, if we go to Ezekiel 33, we get a, a fairly clear, I believe, fairly clear understanding of um God's righteous judgment of a person in their righteousness and then what he does when they turn to iniquity. So we go to the book of Ezekiel, and you, if you can find Isaiah and Jeremiah and Jeremiah's second writing, Lamentations, and right next to Lamentations, going to the right, you'll find Ezekiel. We're going to go towards the end of Ezekiel to chapter 33, Ezekiel chapter 33, and we're going to look at verses 11 12, and 13. Ezekiel 33, verses 11, 12, and 13. Verse 11, say to them, so this is God telling Ezekiel, say to them, say to the Jews, as I live, declares the Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back. Turn back from your evil ways. Why then will you die, O house of Israel? So you can see the pleading of a of a gracious, loving God here. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I don't want you to be wicked. So turn from your wicked ways and come back to me so that you will not die. So he goes on to explain himself in verses 12 and 13. And you, son of man, and this is lowercase, so he's referring to, to Ezekiel as his spokesman here to the Israelites. And you, son of man, say to your fellow citizens, the righteousness of a righteous man will not deliver him in the day of his transgression. And as for the wickedness of the wicked, he will not stumble because of it in the day when he turns from his wickedness. Whereas a righteous man will not be able to live by his righteousness on the day when he commits sin. Verse 13, when I say to the righteous, he will surely live, and he so trusts in his righteousness that he commits iniquity, none of his righteous deeds will be remembered. But in that same iniquity of his, which he has committed, he will die. So what God is trying to tell Israel in this case, and it's basically Old Testament economy, is that if you are righteous in your lifetime, and then during your lifetime, you turn from your righteousness to transgression, you turn from your righteousness to wickedness, to iniquity, that your righteousness that you once had will not save you. So when you were righteous in the Old Testament, as we learned from 1 Samuel 16 and from Psalm chapter 51, the Holy Spirit would come on you, but in your iniquity he would leave you. And if you die at a point in your life in the Old Testament, when you were in your iniquity and the Holy Spirit was not with you, you would die in unrighteousness and therefore would be ultimately judged. You would go to hell and would be judged at the great white throne judgment at the end of the millennial kingdom and therefore thrown into the lake of fire. So the, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit would come on you but would leave you. And I believe Ezekiel chapter 33 and these three verses, 11, 12, and 13, make that pretty clear. And we're going to see that in uh, our next program when we actually go into the New Testament and see a New Testament um, parable to uh, Israel. So it's a parable, so therefore it's to the unbelieving Israel, where it's going to be explained to them how the, how the Holy Spirit functioned during the tribulation period, which is yet to come. So we'll look at that in our next program. Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air.
0: Thank you for joining us on this edition of Exploring Bible Prophecy. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.